Get that India, big boy. It's a blackjack for the tip sheet this week as uh, we record our 21st episode of the 2021 season. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. 60s, how you doing, champ? Mate, there's so much going on. What day is it? I'm, I'm, just, I'm losing track of the of the days yeah, of the week. So Everything's flying at me. Yeah, it is It is Thursday, the 13th of May. I thought it was Thursday yesterday, the way things have been travelling. Uh, there is no football tonight because it's magic round. It is one messed up week, mate. Oh, mate. But like any other week, there is absolutely no shortage of Parramatta Eels news. We've put up with so much crap that's been thrown at the Eels over the weekend, ever since Friday night. But let's... We'll provide the balance here. So all of you Parramatta supporters out there who have absolutely had it with mainstream media or any of the social media that's been putting garbage onto our team, don't worry. We're here for you. We've got you with the tip sheet. So stick with us and uh, let's enjoy the podcast. Well, 60s, it's that time of the week, and I dare say our favourite time of the week where we get to chat to our resident Eels insider. Yep, Joey Grimer is back for another chat. Joey, mate, always a pleasure to have you on board. And it's a very uh, good week for the Eels with some rep squads and whatnot in the mix. Very, very good. Great to be here. And again, equally like you, it's probably my favourite time of the week um, talking to you guys. And just give everyone in um, radio land or podcast land an opportunity to let us let everyone know where our future stars are and you say it's a it's a wonderful week for reps, but I'm incredibly excited for um, Jacob Arthur this week. Uh, one of our genuine resident juniors um, playing first grade this week. My heart is full of joy at the moment. Well, it certainly added a, a lot of our uh, spice to Teamless Tuesday, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get to Jake later. For now, though. Well, we'll talk about how the Eels must be uh, pretty pleased to have their crop of uh, junior representatives in the 2021 class earn a number of rep jerseys, especially those who are a year young in their teams. Uh, what benefit do the players get from this experience, bearing in mind that it's not uh, state v. state this year, it is city v. country? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a twofold um, response or an answer. One is that they're probably being recognised for um, uh, their good work on the field and subsequently... Um, within themselves, they're going to know themselves being picked in representative sides that the hard work that they've done when when no one's looking or when they're within their own team and their coaching structure is actually paid off. So the reward of being recognised, uh, you know, they're being paid for, the, um, uh, for what they've done at training and arguably on the footy field. Um, so the, the, the kudos uh, to them is, is, is rewarding for them. The, all the hard work that they've done and the sacrifices have paid off. And the second part is uh, what it does for them. It gives them a, a level of confidence that now they're in the um, um, top bracket of a limited amount of players in their age group um, that um, qualify them for being selected into these representative uh, teams and, and, and competitions and, and carnivals and games. So the level of confidence that they will receive, not only going into 
um, camp, getting um, excellent coaching by players who are legends of our game, but being around other players of similar ability and similar presence. So one is the uh, rec- uh, the, the the reward and recognition, and two is the the lift in confidence that they will receive in being selected in these programs. And just to clarify for those that are listening, uh, from our junior representative programs this year, that means Harold Matthews, SG Ball and Tasha Gale, uh, the following players were selected for the city side of things. Uh, in the 16s males, uh, Tyrese Lakenny, Blaze Talagi and Sam Tuovati. In the 18s, you had Jabril Kalachi, Ethan Sanders, Larry Moagutatia, Jock Brazel and Miles Martin, so plenty of uh, reps there. And for the ladies in the under-19 city team, both Ruby John Kennard and Lasalio Sita Payne uh, earned selection. And uh, in terms of our support staff, uh, the Matt's coach who did a great job this year, Stephen O'Day, he'll be taking the helm of the uh, 16s. With a number of our trainers also picked, I believe, Ryan Walker was helping out as the assistant coach in the under-19s ladies team. Uh, Blake Raliski and yep. uh, Neil Dunkey and Greg May uh, featuring as trainers across a number of teams there as well. So. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a plethora of, of, of opportunity for those wonderful players and staff. And um, outside um, um, Illawarra and Newcastle, which they would have a, a huge representation given now that city and country, um, no other NRL club even got close to ten players representing um, the city side. So we're leaps and bounds ahead of any other NRL club. And we talk about staff. We've got five staff um, participating in um, those representative programs, those elite programs, which no other club is even near. So we've got a great representation and it's just a a reward for those players and staff. And uh, I've always said that we've got the best people at Parramatta and I don't hide away from the fact that um, this just recognises exactly what I've been saying for a long time. And, and I just want to say quickly that Sixies and myself have given Blaze plenty of praise, a bit of rhyming uh, play there, but for being uh, such a standout contributor for the Mats as a as a junior member of the squad with another year of eligibility. But you're telling me that Sam Tuovati, the, the big unit that he is, is playing that competition a year young. I was stunned when I saw that. Uh, yeah, and it, it, again, it's a great recognition on him, how hard he's worked yeah. on his fitness. And we were very close in getting another player in Jacob John, a.k.a. Bobby, into that program, which he is also a year young as well. Well, he was dynamic off the bench for us. He was uh, very impressive as that impact forward. So, yeah, that's a would have been a, a very fitting reward for him as well because I'm also shocked that he's a year young. That That is impressive. Yeah, we've got um, seven year young players. Um, and the, the other gentleman that uh, got selected, Tyrese Latini, yeah. he played three games. Uh, he came off the bench once um, and started in two. He is also a year young. Yeah, and in terms of the 18 squad, obviously Miles Martin and Ethan Sanders were part of our Harold Matthews team, which means they're under 17s. So they've got two years of eligibility for that team, that representative team. Uh, and then... Uh, who else would be a junior there? I, I mean, the the Tasha Gale girls play the un, it's under eighteens in the Gale, isn't it? Or do they get bumped the, up the, year this year? Those both those young ladies are a year young for yeah. Tasha Gale, so they are eligible again to play Tasha Gale next year. There you go. So we've just spoken about the individuals that are, are going to have well, they having great reward for their efforts and their 
going to benefit from it. But uh, what about the club, Joey? How does the club benefit from having all these uh, individuals involved in the representative matches? Sixties, it just ensures that the players that have been selected in these representative squads are players that we've identified as potential um, NRL or full-time players. So that just gives us a level of clarity that, yeah, we do have the right players at our club. Not only have we um, um, observed them or, 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 you know, we've seen them come through our, our pathways, but other people who are used to selecting people to go into these elite um um, training facilities or elite city and country, New South Wales or whatever the case may be. So it just um, uh, demonstrates that we've got the best people or the right people at our club to go to full time. So from a club perspective, when we're having recruitment meeting, we meetings, we know we don't have to target a particular person for that area because we've got someone coming through from our junior pathway program. There you go. All right, well, let's talk about the girls for a second. Uh, Lasalio Sita-Payne was a monster in the Tashgal this year. We've spoken about her at length on the podcast of yourself, Joey. Uh, but her running mate in the front row and Ruby John Kennard was a weapon in the red zone as well. And I was genuinely happy to see both of them in the City Under-19s team. And it made me think what was next for them. You've already mentioned they've got another year of eligibility in the Gale. Uh, but uh, what, what does lay ahead of, of prospects like those two for the Eels and for the girls themselves? Well, the club has made it very apparent that um, um, they would love to have an NRLW team uh, in the near future. Whether that, you know, that discussion with uh, our executive and the NRL comes to fruition next year or the year after, I'm not too sure. But it just ensures that uh, when these young ladies come out of our Tasha Gale programs uh, or program, um, they can do one of two things. They can go back into their uh, junior rugby league or um, if they're uh, of the uh, ability that they can join a Harvey Norman Opens program, we've got a number of clubs. We've got um, Cabramatta, we've got uh, Wentworthville Magpies, and we've got Mount Pritchard. So these young ladies can go into and contest and play against some of the girls that would, nor- would normally play in the NRLW. So it just ensures that they uh, uh, do have the capability to take this, take that next step. And equally, next year, we've got a, a massive injection of, of projects, uh, particularly in the female space, so we can speed up the area which probably has been neglected or uh, we haven't um, um, put as much resources as our male program um, in the past three or four years. So with these two young ladies, they're leading the way for the next generation, which they will be there next year anyway in the Tasha Gale Cup. So it just ensures that now we have got a top-end opportunity for these um, young ladies, in particular Sitter and, and Ruby, but we are now catering for that under 14, 15, 16 and 17 year old uh, female group. And we'll talk about that on another podcast, but um, we've got some really exciting news coming up in 2021, 22. And it sounds like uh, Kiki the Kakariki is trying to chime in with some questions for you there, mate. <laughs> I've, I've, just, I've just changed location within the house, mate. So, um, uh, yes, uh, just talking on the uh, exciting news, first of all, uh, we've we had a bit of a revamp this year with um, the development squads 
for those that are younger than the SG Ball and Harold Matz teams. Can you just give us a bit of a run-through, or our listeners a bit of a run-through on that again, Joey, how that was reorganised? Yeah, um, the... the the, the Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Tasha Gale, um, they weren't changed dramatically, men. Um, the only uh, the only thing that, that changed were the squad size. Uh, we initially had a squad of around 45 to 50, and we felt that that was uh, too great, so we decreased it to um, um, 25. Whether that number's right or wrong, we're going to look at that, and we may increase it another 5 or 10. So the only real difference in that was the sizing and the number. The actual training component and the logistics of it remain the same. Where the greatest change, men, was made was in our under-14s and our under-15s. We had a system where we would capture between 40 and 50 players from within the Parramatta district, and we would offer them um, an opportunity to participate in our development pathways. Now, what that meant is that they would meet four weeks pre-Christmas, six weeks post-Christmas, one day a week, so it wouldn't um, affect their community club commitments or their school commitments, but it would be an eight to ten week, one day a week program uh, with the uh, end product playing one or two games. And what that did, it enabled the mums and dads to come in and sit down on an induction evening to talk about the Parramatta way and uh, the development club that um, uh, we're striving to become, but to also start the process of them being a Parramatta person. So um, what we decided to do, we felt that we weren't capturing enough. And from a logistical point of view, some of our players in the southwest found it logistically difficult to get to Kellyville Park or if we were going to train at one venue, it was logistically difficult and vice versa. People that are playing in the northwest area, if they had to train at Cabramatta or Guildford, it's a 45-minute trip at the best of times. And when you train, you're training between five and seven and that's when the um, uh, the traffic problems happen. So it was taking a considerable amount of time. The way we decided to fix both areas um, and to capture more players, and from a logistical point of view for mum and dad and the players, we decided to use the Great Western Highway as the border. Anything north of the Great Western Highway was considered a north club. Anything south of the Great Western Highway was considered a south club. What we did, we didn't change the numbers of participants uh, which meant we actually captured um, 30 extra players in each age group, uh, but it also allowed the people in the southwest. We used the Cabramatta Sports Complex as the uh, training facility, and with the Northwestern or the North Development Squad, uh, we used Winston Hill Tigers Ground as a training venue for those um, sessions. So logistically, mums and dads were happy. And it allowed us to get or to gain information or to view or to work with an extra 30 players. And that was done in the 14s and the 15s. So um, it, it opened up great opportunities and we've had overwhelming response from clubs, parents and the players certainly enjoyed it.
The other aspect is that we're always trying to identify the best coaches and the best staff, support staff, managers in our own district that are working with our community clubs by uh, um, splitting the squad and making it north and south. It gave me an opportunity to bring on uh, and give the opportunity for extra coaches and assistant coaches and trainers and managers to come into the programs. So then we can ensure that we don't lose our best coaches um, or best staff to other sports or other districts. So it was a massive win-win for everyone, particularly our club. Thanks for outlining that entire transition once again for us, Joey, which brings us back to the present now. And I believe you've got some news about those squads for us. Yeah, I certainly do, Jono. Um, In fact, that the end of June and the beginning and to the mid-July, we've got a a number of opportunities where we're going to bring both our um, under-14s North and South Development Squad, our under-15s North-South Development Squad, and our Parramatta Senior Development Squad. We've arranged two trial games or two friendly games. So it's going to be an opportunity where we're going to have every single player outside our elite pathways programs, that is the Mats, the Ball and the Tasha Gale, participate against Penrith on, um, I think it's uh, Wednesday, yep, Wednesday the 30th of June, um, most likely at this stage at Windsor Complex. So we're going to participate or going to have a game, 14's North, Versa Penrith Development Squad, 14 South Penrith Development Squad, 15s North, 15 South, and our senior development squad. So potentially we're going to have over 150 players from Parramatta competing um, against Penrith just to start to uh, um, start the pathway for these young men who ultimately some of them will be playing Harold Matthews the following year and some in two years. So we'll have two training sessions leading up into that. We'll play Penrith on the 30th. Then we will come back after uh, the following week on the 5th of July. We will continue to have training. um, And then we will play the Magpies and the Tigers on Wednesday, the 7th of July, in a very similar format at Leichhardt Oval. So the boys are are very, very excited, as is the staff. Um, So in the next... Two months, we're going to have um, uh, four training sessions and two games, and that will give us a real good opportunity uh, to have a look at these players, and then they'll go back into the community clubs uh, to participate in the junior league uh, before we invite or send invitations for these young men, uh, in this particular case, um, to trial for our um, 2022 development and elite squads. It's always exciting, isn't it, when you can move from a training scenario into a game. It's, I suppose training is one thing. Getting some match play, that takes it to another level for these players. It does, and that's what they want to do. And 60s is funny. Even when I played in the development squads back in the day in, in, the, in the mid-80s, um, all I wanted to do, 60s and Jono, was to wear the Parramatta jersey. And I guess for some of these young men, and women, um, all they want to do is wear a NRL-branded jersey and particularly Parramatta one in this case. So it's really exciting uh, opportunity uh, for the players and 
let's be frank, uh, we know what parents are like at junior sport. Um, it's a big opportunity for them as well. So it's a, a great opportunity. And we haven't had this many games this time of the year uh, before, or certainly since I've been running the program in, in three years. Um, so we're looking forward to it. It'll give us a real good understanding of, of where we're at and who we, who we need to look for in 2022. Well, mate, thanks for filling us in on that. It's now time for us to dig into the mailbag because we've got a yes. few Ask Joey questions. Now, the first one comes from Eddie the Eel. It's not Eddie the Eagle. It's Eddie the Eel. <laughs> How important is it to have junior coaches receive coaching themselves? Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question. And um, if you ask me what my role, in my role, what I'm striving for as the coaching director is alignment. And alignment meaning that what you do at the top um, flows down to your under-14s program. Um, it's having consistency in the way that we uh, deliver training programs. It's consistency in the way that um, we speak to the players in, in Parramatta talk. Not the style. We don't want the coaches to change their style or, or to deliver in a particular style. They deliver in their own style. But to have that alignment is, is everything. And you can't have successful alignment or consistency unless the coaches or the staff understand what Brad is teaching at the top or Brad and his staff. So um, my major role, a major part of my role is mentoring, updating and communicating to the coaches on a daily basis. Um, I've seen you guys are training. I don't miss a training session. I'm there at every session. And rather than wait till the end of the year to have a uh, end, end review and so forth, I'll grab the coaches at the end of the drill and explain to them that, yeah, that was great, or we need to do this different, or this is what Brad was talking about today. So um, to coach the coach is the, um, um, the million-dollar question or the million-dollar um, answer. Um, to getting it right. And that that will also ensure that when a player goes from a 14s to a 15s, 15s to a senior development squad into Harold Matthews and up the ladder, they understand uh, what's expected. Um, the only difference is the level of um, the level of intensity and the level of execution is different, obviously, um, because of the standard of or the ability of the player that they become at an older age with maturity. So it's a really good question, but it's a really, really big part and a piece to our puzzle and one that takes up a lot of my time. Thanks, Owen, Joey. The next question comes from Neil, who asks, with the half and five-eighth often taking on different sides of the ruck, how does an NRL team organise the cause for which side the ball is going to go to? That's usually done by um, uh, uh, watching the opposition and uh, um, trying to attack their weaknesses, but also to... Um, work to your strengths. Uh, what normally happens, and depending on who you play and um, uh, the point of where the play of the ball or the money play is, starts from, whether it's from the middle part of the field or a, a little bit uh, past the posts or from a scrum line, um, will depend on the opposition that you're playing and the strengths that you have. 
The beauty about playing from a 50% of the field or the middle part of the field is that you've automatically got the overlap depending on which side the fullback swings. Mm-hmm. You've got four, uh, you've got 5v5, five, five attackers and five defenders, and you actually gain the overlap by the length of the pass and which side the fullback switches to, whether it's left or right. However, some teams, and South Sydney are incredible at, a, at setting up their play on the right part of the field, um, just inside the 20 uh, or, or, the, or the scrum line, we call it the 20-metre line. They have that shift where they go from the right side to the left side and just strip you for numbers. So um, the, 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 the formation of halves playing left and right is actually decreasing because now teams are actually um, um, identifying the seven or the halfback to be the first receiver and the six or the five-eighth to be the running receiver. So teams are actually playing from a longer field position opposed to from a 50% where they get five and five. But to answer um, to answer the question that um, um, Neil was talking about is depending uh, on what you've found in watching the opposition and some teams might um, attack better from a wider field position opposed to a middle field field position. Right. Now, the final question today comes from Colin, and he's asking, what's the best background or experience for an NRL dummy half? Is it good to have spent time in their past as a halfback? Yeah. I mean, you look at the best the best, uh, the best dummy halves in our game, um, and, you know, the, the obvious one is Cameron Smith. Um, his skill set demonstrated the demonstrated that he would have made, and he did play a lot of half, would have made uh, an outstanding half. But to put him in um, a position where you touch the ball more times than anyone in the game of rugby league, even your halves um, in your team, suggests that any skill set that you learn as a half is going to be a, a great benefit for you um, from a def- uh, from a, a, a attacking point of view, a dummy half. There's the passing of left to right, um, short and long, and the biggest revolution or change to our game in the past 20 years is our, um, our kicking and our attacking ability from dummy half. And that comes from um, um, being a, uh, a person that challenges the line similar to what your halfback or what you expect your halfback to do. Traditionally, if you go back to the 80s, um, you know, you look at Steve Walters. Steve Walters shuffled the ball, was very, very good defensively, um, but didn't run too much. So the the skill set of a halfback will have a massive bearing and an um, advantage to anyone playing uh, dummy half or a hooker. The other area where it's a bit of a disadvantage or a halfback going to hooker is that you're susceptible to make... 20 extra tackles per game. So um, if you could if you could sew two, two uh, positions together, you would sew your lock because that person is used to um, collision and contact, particularly in defence, and a halfback with the flair and the, um, um, the touch of, uh, um, you know, someone with good skill. So that would be the perfect prototype, a lock and a halfback coming together 
and you will always have a, a very, very sound dummy half. And that's pretty much what Cameron Smith was, wasn't he? With that mid-180s build and the ability to organise a game, and that's probably why he's going to go down as the greatest dummy half of the, the, greatest. Uh, of the code. Yeah, the, so. the, the greatest, absolutely, John. So um, let's take that question and segue into the NRL because uh, it does lead in nicely to what I want to talk about. Um, looking back on that win against the Roosters, very little was made about the, the loss of Reid Marnie during the commentary. Uh, how disruptive is it to lose a dummy half during a game? And I suppose, given the ill circumstances, how disruptive is it when you haven't got a recognised backup on the bench? Yeah, two points for that. Two, the first point is um, he, was, he was in a purple patch. Um, he was playing, and people said it, uh, Brad credited him with it. Um, everyone who's seen him play, he was playing out of his skin. So he was playing at a level where he was being talked about as a genuine representative player. So to take anyone playing as well as he was playing at that particular time when he got injured, doesn't matter what position you are, uh, it's a huge loss. Now, given that he's a, a dummy half and he would touch the ball um, more than 200, 250 times a game and has built up the whole week has been built around executing plays and defending. When you have someone that doesn't have the finesse or the understanding of exactly what we're trying to do um, or defend near someone that they're used to defending, it does disrupt you. And there was a couple of things. Um, uh, Coach Brad uh, put two or three people in a dummy half and you could see the lack of fluency um, that it had on our team. So the two points were taking arguably the most important person um, out of our team or any team is going to be a hindrance, but to take someone that was playing the way that Reed was playing, um, that was a, a, yeah, a double whammy for us. It was a huge loss, huge loss for us. And you could see, uh, you know, the direction, the lack of, um, the lack of clarity in what we were trying to do. Now, we've touched on this a little bit earlier. It's uh, an exciting week this week with the debut of Jake Arthur. You know Jake very well. What can ex supporters expect to see from Jake this week? You know what? Um, I think you're going to see exactly what I've been seeing for the last seven years, watching Jake mature and play. He's not going to get frazzled. He knows in his own mind, that they're going to come after him. He's an 18-year-old man, a uh, young man. Um, he's playing against the Warriors, who are notoriously physical. But what you will see is someone that will get the shapes on and execute the plays to perfection uh, because he just understands it so, so well. He understands what his role is and why he is so important in executing the play because it does affect the continuity of, of the the shapes and what we're trying to do. You will find um, Jake with a, a, a very sound kicking game. Um, he kicks as well long and high um, as, as any other player. But what you will find is his level of maturity and calmness. And you guys have witnessed that at training and you've, You've watched him as much as I've watched him over the years, so you know how calm he is. He gets targeted very unfairly uh, because of his surname, which uh, proves this week um, that it's not just about his surname. And I've 
got so much pride in my heart for him because I know the challenges that goes with being the son of an NRL club uh, uh, coach. Um, you know, the Clearies, the Flanagans, and now the Arthurs. Uh, so you will see a, a very mature man. Uh, you'll see a, a sound kicking and passing game. He will get us exactly to the spots that we need to get to, and he will be very calm. Defensively, he's going to get his body in front. He's no worse or better than any other uh, halfback defending in the NRL. He's a tallish figure, so he's going to have a little bit of, um, of a height on his advantage. And the other thing that no one's talking about, the way that Jake will control the game, I think we might see a special uh, a special game from our other half, Mitchell Moses, because Jake will be organising and Mitchell will be running. And that's what we would love to see Mitchell do. And we know Mitchell's at his best when he runs and Jake can take that heat off him, albeit it's his first game in the NRL and he's only 18 years of age. Very capable, very proud of him, mate. And it's a really cool spot as a fan to be in a situation where the club is legitimately contending for the title, but also you know developing simultaneously, having kids like Jake come up. And obviously we've got Will Penasini in reserve grade too, who'll be in the mix at some point, that you'd imagine. But yeah, it's just such a cool position as a fan. And I imagine on the other side too, like you said, you're so happy for Jake. As a guy whose mission statement is to develop talent for the Eels, you know, this is almost cathartic for you, isn't it? It's it, it's that that's perfect word. I don't know what it means, but I think that's a perfect word because if you said it, it means exactly what uh, I'm feeling. So, um, you know, you guys watched Sean Russell and Will Penasini. You called that wonderful game last week. Um, we've just re-signed uh, David Hollis. So, you know what? Um, it's funny. Uh, you uh, you were there sixties when um, Jake Arthur presented the jersey with Brad Arthur. Uh, Will Penasini, Samuel Luizio, and Sean Russell to our Harold Matthews Cup. And the yes. irony of that comment that Brad said um, to those Harold Matthews players that are playing into the grand final, saying, you know what, Jake, Samuel, Will, Sean were all sitting in your chair three years ago. Fast forward three weeks, we got one of those players that was sitting there three years ago debuting for first grade. It's unbelievable. You couldn't write a script like this. Yeah, it was – look, I, I must thank you for the uh, invitation to go down there to that jersey presentation because it, it was a reminder of how important the pathways are for the young players that were there to see players who were in their position only three years earlier who are now in the full-time squad and making their own – path through into uh, the senior football and as you said just a couple of weeks later to see one of those blokes about to make his debut it it reinforces to them how they have their journey that they've got ahead and also how the club is a genuine investment in them in them being part of the future of the Parramatta Reels. Yeah, and, and you know what, 60s, it's a little bit of deja vu. We're talking about Miles Martin, Jock Brazel, Larry, Ethan, Jabril. You know, um, uh, three years ago, you know who those four or five players were in those sides? You're talking about your Sean Russells, Will Penasini's, <laughs> your Jacob Arthurs, your Caleb Tohais, um, your Josh Tutupolos. So it's a bit of a copy and paste 
of what we're doing. And then you've got the next crew coming, 60s and Jono. You've got your, uh, you know, your younger 16-year-olds coming through. So it's taken us a bit of time to get here uh, in my role, and it was always going to take two or three years to get the systems, but there is something happening at our club, and um, I think that if we can regenerate and keep on doing what we're doing um, with the wonderful people uh, working voluntarily in our club, um, we're going to have a lot more Jacob Arthurs at our program. And I think that's a, a nice place to wrap up this week's uh, chat with you, Joey. Like we always say, it is an immense pleasure to have you on board, mate. And uh, we're looking forward to talking about the post-mortem of Magic Ground. And I believe the uh, rescheduled matches from the uh, washed-out Jersey Flag and New South Wales Cup games in round two, I think they're scheduled for this Saturday, am I not mistaken? That's correct. Yes, they are, Jono. Yes, mate. So uh, we'll be on hand there to cover those games. And then on Sunday, obviously, the Eels taking on the Warriors. So we'll uh, talk about all that in next week's edition of the Review Podcast for the Tip Sheet. Joey, thanks for coming by, mate. And guys, you need to be commended. I've heard nothing but positive news about uh, you guys calling the games over the last couple of weeks. I hope it's something that you continue to do. Um, because there's a select few out there that love love absolutely what you're doing. And again, thank you for the support with our Junior Pathways program. And it's uh, always great. My favourite time of the week to talk to you legends. Likewise, mate. You keep well. Cheers, Joey. See you, the boys. And uh, let's jump into the newsroom now. And there is plenty of parameter news to talk about this week. We'll start with a huge positive. On Monday, it was announced that Nathan Brown has re-upped with the blonde gold for a further two years. Uh, obviously, there was, a, I wouldn't say too much drama because, you know, it's, it's the nature of contract negotiations to go out and try and secure the best deal for the player and likewise the club looking to try and get the most efficient value on that deal. But uh, Brownie obviously uh, having, uh, I suppose, uh, negotiations with the Manly Seagulls before they pulled out and eventually coming back to the Eels. Uh, but, yeah, good to have an integral part of the forward, back, uh, forward pack back on board, 60s. Yeah, look, I think Brownie's always been, he's had his best fit at the club at Parramatta. And I think probably he recognises that the club recognise the value that they get from Nathan Brown. And when you've got the club and the player that really don't want to change things, this is the best outcome now. So, uh, yeah, very happy about that. And it's been a busy week for the uh, recruitment and retention committee, more so the retention side of things. Jacob Arthur uh, also getting a contract upgrade, bumping him from a development slot into a full-time role at the club, which clears the way for him to make his debut outside of any sort of uh, uh, exemption or whatnot on Sunday. Yeah, probably the funniest thing about that was the certain media report reporter, the high-profile journo who had a story about the NRL about to block him playing because he was only a development player when the club had already upgraded him to a top 30 contract. So a um, little bit amusing there, but um, look, well-deserved for Jake. Uh, looking forward so much to this debut. And as you and I both know, watching these young blokes coming through the grades and earning a first-grade debut, it makes... It makes all those years, this is just a personal thing, makes our, our years watching some of these young blokes going through and progress, it makes it worthwhile. It, it's, it's a little extra kick, a little extra buzz to think, yeah, I watched them when they were first starting off in the pathway system and now they're a first grade player. Look at you, you hipster. No, but uh, you're right, mate. It, it is really 
really cool to be able to watch the journey of these young kids as they look to become, you know, full-blown professional athletes. And, you know, Jake is yet another, uh, I suppose, chapter or, or, or uh, installment in that long and, and high-profiled history for the Eels in that regard. So very cool to see that happening this week. Um, but, yeah, talking about other news now for the Eels, obviously uh, the Eels are in a bit of a bizarre situation following uh, – not a mandate, but a suggestion from the the NRL last week to withdraw top 30 players from the New South Wales Cup uh, if you're playing to use them in round 10. The Eels uh, continued as uh, per schedule with their game against the Bears, uh, which meant there was a bit of a standoff across the weekend about what was going to happen for the Eels. Ultimately, the NRL has decided to allow the Eels full access to their top 30 for the round 10 game against the New Zealand Warriors up in Brisbane. But... Uh, <laughs> The way it's been phrased is that they cannot train; those those players cannot train until they arrive in Brisbane with the team. So they'll essentially have a, a captain's run in order to familiarize familiarize themselves uh, with the game day preparations. Uh, which means there's uh, level three uh, Apollo protocols in Sydney or for Sydney teams, but level one in Brisbane. So yeah, a bit of an odd resolution to that entire saga. But thankfully, the Eels do have access to who they want to pick. Yeah, it was. I, I guess, I don't know whether it's going to necessarily satisfy some of the other clubs that were having a whinge about Parramatta not I, following. I do, I do note that the uh, Souths and Penrith uh, chairmans love to get themselves in the, in the press about those sort of things, uh, especially Brian, oh. Brian Fletcher out West. He's a bit of a repeat offender in that regard, has an opinion on everything. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to make an excuse for what actions the the Eels chose to take with with playing the players. It was a recommendation. It wasn't an edict or a mandate from the NRL. The other clubs were unhappy that they made the decision to rest players. The other clubs now aren't having to go through being able to uh, being unable to have their players train with their first grade team until they arrive in Brisbane. So there's a little price to pay for the Eels for that. And I think, as you suggested, that's probably a, a a suitable resolution for the whole thing. And especially when you consider that the previous week that the COVID scare in Sydney was around the Eastern suburbs, the Eastern suburbs players were required to COVID test and they COVID tested the day before the match. And then the match was able to uh, carry on. So yeah, I I think it's, I think it was a bit of a storm in the teacup myself. I I tend to agree, mate. And uh, speaking of, of players eligible for selection in round 10, let's talk injuries and suspensions. Uh, we knew that Dylan Brown and Murata Niakore were probably going to be in a little bit of strife following the victory against the Roosters in round nine. Uh, Dylan with the sliding knees into Drew Hutchinson and uh, Murata, sorry, with the high contact on a falling Tedesco, which we spoke about, and I, I won't go back into it. But for Murata, it was a three-week Base charge, two weeks of the early guilty plea. He took the early guilty plea. For Dylan, four-week base charge, three weeks with the early plea. Likewise, he took the early guilty plea. So the Eels missing two of their starters for two and three weeks, respectively. Uh, in the good news, Wonga Blake is back from his calf injury, which means that the Eels only have Will Smith left in the injury ward. And he's still out for a little bit. That broken thumb setting him back until rounds 13 or 14, pending the speed of his recovery. Yeah, and he's one of those players that had become virtually an integral part of the Eels bench, being able to cover so many positions. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if when his return rolls around that he's named straight away back on the bench. And the last bit of news this week, and we already spoke about it with Joey, but the Parramatta Eels having a number of junior representatives 
named for the city teams, just to go over those once again. In the New South, or I see, I'm so used to state versus state, state of origin. There, in the uh, New South Wales city team, is how you can recover it or salvage it. Uh, the city under 16s, Tarese Lakeni, Blaze Talangi, and Sam Tuovati have earned selection for the New South Wales 18s. Jabril Kalachi, Ethan Sanders, Larry Moagutia, Jock Brazel, and Miles Martin. And then for the ladies 19s, Ruby John Kennard and Lasalio Sita Payne are in that team. Uh, Stephen O'Day will coach the under-16s for the Eel, or for the Eels for New South Wales City. Uh, he was the Harold Matthews coach for the Eels this year and did a fantastic job. Ryan Walker will be an assistant coach for the 19s women's team in the city site, in the city colours, uh, with Blake Roliski, Neil Dunkey, and Greg May also earning call-ups as trainers. So well done to all involved there. We look forward to uh, getting some results out of it, and I believe it's going to be streamed by New South Wales Rugby League, so you can catch those details on that website. Yeah, and great reward, as we discussed, for all those individuals. Mm-hmm. And that wraps up the news this week. Let's get quickly into the previews. Three games to cover for the Blue and Gold, Flag Cup, and NRL. And, uh, yeah, well, there will be coverage of those games. I mentioned before those rep games on your side of the league, so I uh, get those ones there. But let's start with the Flag, mate. It's actually the uh, the main game slot on Saturday out at Ringrose Park as the Parramatta Eels host the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, kickoff is at 4.30 p.m. It's a, another Wenty home game for the Eels. Lineup looks like this for the Blonde Gold. Clayton Falolo at fullback. Matthew Komalafi and Thruin Easthope on the wings. Samuel Loizu and Jaden Skinner in the centres. Jabril Kalachi not available for selection this week, obviously, with those representative honours. In the halves, you've got Tavita Massima and Kyle Schneider. A front row that looks like Itasi James and Jack Colavati on either shoulder of Jaden Yates at hooker. Oliver Clements, Peter Teo, and Caleb Tohi in the lock forward role. On the bench, Luke Bain, Jonte Jr., Beth Mieser, Lennox Whitaker, and Brock Parker, who returns. Yeah, so a lot of SG ball talent that we've spoken about in the past. I don't think there's any particular new faces there in terms of debuts, but it's good to see Brock Parker back in the fold. And there's a couple of promotions there, Chavel Tassapali and David Hollis not available because they've been caught up to the New South Wales Cup. Yeah, and we also have Samuel Loizu moving from wing. That That is probably center. the most pertinent thing, yeah. Loizu showing his flexibility, uh, going one inside now, playing in the centre three-quarter role. And I'm just looking at this uh, Dragons team, and uh, the player I was going to see was there was Tom Amone, or Junior Amone, sorry, who probably is in the NRL team still, who made his debut last week. And that was uh, really wild for us to be able to see him play SG Ball and then... Uh, and then NRL in the same season. But I suppose the same could have been said for Jacob Arthur if he'd played SG Ball, which he was eligible for. He would be doing the very same thing one week later. Yeah, so it's one of the joys of watching junior representative football is seeing the progress of these players. But when you see it happen so quickly, and we mentioned that it was not too many weeks ago that we saw Ramona playing uh, for, um, was it St. George or Illawarra? It was the Steelers that we drew with, right? No. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was the Steelers yeah. that we drew with, and he was yeah. playing 5 8 and had a great game. Yeah, yeah. So it was no surprise that he's someone that the Dragons hierarchy were looking at to fast track through their system. So, uh, very good player, great debut for him. Uh, but as for our flag team this week, they're probably just looking to gain a bit more consistency mm, even mm. within the one match it's yeah. uh that that playing for the 70 minutes is probably the next step that they're looking to take and we spoke about it before we sometimes i think our expectations 
are a little bit higher than what they necessarily should be because you've got a team that can have lots of changes. You've got a team that has young players in it and we're, we're sometimes expecting the level of consistency out of them that you get out of the uh, NRL level players and I guess this is part of their learning curve is learning to play uh, for more a greater consistency over that period of time, a full match. Um, hey, we, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the Eels needing to play a full 80 minutes yeah. in a game. So when NRL teams struggle to put together a full 80 minutes, and that happens across all the teams, it's not so unusual, I guess, to expect that you're going to have that uh, that type of inconsistency in the uh, league teams. This will be a fascinating matchup for us to uh, either blog about or call, hopefully, the sixth-placed six Eels hosting the fourth-placed Dragons. The Eels sporting a 3-4 and four record heading into round 10, but the Dragons having a 5-2 and two record, which is two four wins ahead, but they've actually got a negative four and against. So they've obviously been uh, pasted a couple of times in those two losses. So we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out, mate. Yeah, it's... And obviously when you're at this early stage and teams haven't had the opportunity to play everyone else within the competition, it's a little bit hard to get a handle on what are the strengths and weaknesses of the other teams, how they compare to each other. And once we start to get through at least halfway through the competition, then perhaps we'll get a bit of a a better idea about how the Eels line up comparatively to some of these other sides. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, at 2.30pm, in the lead-up to that game, it's the New South Wales Cup. It's not the first time this year that it's actually been the curtain raiser rather than the uh, well, the main event in terms of the junior or the, the lower senior grade game. Sorry, I got there eventually. Uh, but the Eels hosting the Canberra Raiders. So it's the fourth-placed Eels versus the fifth-placed Raiders. It should be a great game. The Eels look like this with Hayes Perham at fullback. Lalo Toa Mata'afa on one wing and Sean Russell on the other. Will Penasini and Michael Oldfield round out an unchanged back line. There are some changes in the halves, though. Jordan Rankin will be in 5'8", as usual, but Joey Lussick slides from dummy half to halfback, showing a little bit of versatility there. In the front row, you've got Makahesi Makatoa and Wirumu Greg on either side of Nathaniel Roach, who gets his first start of a season, if I'm not mistaken. In the back row, Ellie Elsgaham, Shabel Tassapalo, who gets a big call-up from Flegg to starting in the cup, and Kai Rodwell at lock forward. On the bench, David Hollis also called up from Flegg this week, so well done to him. Alongside Kurt Dillon, Dillon Clifford, Dillon, Kurt Dillon Clifford, there we go, and Noel Ackerflower, who's back as the uh, uh, utility backslash forward on the bench for the Eels. How do you see this one, mate? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how the Eels are able to play without a key playmaker in Jacob Arthur. So I'm pretty sure that that's obviously going to mean that Jordan Rankin's going to take the primary playmaker role. And and to be fair to him, that's probably been something that he's at least had an even share of during the first rounds with Jake Arthur in the team. Joey Lussick doesn't mind getting in there when he's playing in the lock forward position, playing as an extra playmaker. So I think it's actually going to be a, a reasonably comfortable transition for him to play in the halves. And we know that uh, Nathaniel Roach has been playing the majority of games at dummy half, even though he starts on the bench, because like you said, when he comes on, Lussick slides back to that small ball lock forward role. But it's a sign of confidence, I suppose, the fact that he's going to be playing a full 80 minutes or so it looks like um, looking at this lineup, because 
on that bench, there's no recognised dummy halves. It's all forwards. Yeah, so obviously if something was to happen, there'd be a bit of a reshuffle where the you'd be able to have Joey Lussick sliding back into that dummy half position. But from the point of view of Nathaniel Roach as a player, what's been good, and I should touch wood, I'm going to touch wood right now. I'm actually doing yeah. it. I'm hitting just my, so you know, hitting on, my listen, nice listen. desk. There we go. There, so you could hear the knocking there. One of the difficulties that Nathaniel Roach has faced over the years is being able to string together a number of uninterrupted matches without injury. So it's been a good start for him once he's first got onto the field for the Eels, uh, albeit in the New South Wales Cup knock-on effect cup level. But the more game time that he gets and the more confident he gets, he is a genuine strike player out of dummy half. And there's no knock on uh, Joey Lussick at all because Joey's actually been uh, quite good for the Eels. And his defence is, is probably one of the best that I've seen from a dummy half. Uh, quite and, and quite aggressive too in his defence. So, uh, but yeah, just back on Nathaniel Roach, he's been someone that's been identified for a long time as having outstanding potential, only been held back by injury. So for him to get such a run of matches uninterrupted, it's a good sign for the future. Exactly, mate. And uh, like I said, kick off this one at two thirty and knock on wood again. But hopefully, we'll be able to bring you a live cast of the game, just pending on. Uh, what New South Wales Rugby Week TV is doing this week. I don't think they're scheduled to be out at Ringrose, but we'll have to double-check that before we uh, set up. But yeah, yeah, I was I was looking at the timing and wondering that, wondering whether that flip around, of, mm. which is the first and the second game, might have something to do with that. So it, might, yeah. it will be something we'll have to have a bit of a look at. So at the very least, we'll have the flag covered, I dare say, but the doubleheader is still under a little bit of doubt because we're just not sure of um, logistically if we're allowed to cover that one yet. But uh, stay tuned. So moving on to the main event now, the NRL. It's round 10. It's magic round for those who care about it. Eight games at one venue. Unfortunately for the Eels, they're on the back end of the scheduling this year. So they're going to be playing the, I believe it's the sixth game of the uh, round. So the Suncorp turf will be torn up a fair bit. But they're taking on the New Zealand Warriors. It's 2v8. So another top eight clash for the Eels, which marks their six top eight matchup in terms of the live ladder coming into a given round. I believe the only time the Eels have played non-top eight teams are the Broncos twice, and technically the Broncos were in the top eight in round one because of the alphabetical order of the ladder, but we don't count that, uh, the Tigers and the Bulldogs. So, uh, yeah, continuing that tough run for the Eels. They're taking on a New Zealand Warriors team that looks like this. Uh, the outstanding Roger Tuovasa-Shek at fullback. He is also captaining the New Zealand franchise. On the wings, Edward Cozzi and Ken Mamolo. In the centres, Adam Pompey and Rocco Berry. A Haas pairing of Cody Nicarima and Chanel Harris-Tevita. Front row trio of Jermaine Tanoa-Brown and Kane Evans as the prop forwards. Wade Egan at dummy half. Uh, one-time Eels prospect Josh Curran on, on one edge with Ben Murdoch-Masilla on the other. Tohu Harris is the lock forward. On the bench, Jazz Tavanga, Leeson Armour, Bunty Afoa and Maurice Walsh. Extended bench is Bailey Sirenen, Jack Murchie and Ellie Katoa Ewan Aiken. As the last player, there we go. Got my end in the wrong spot for the Eels. It's a couple of changes this week with Quinton Gufferson captaining the fullback, captaining and fullback in a head a head-to-head matchup of captains and star fullbacks. So good to see that one. Uh, unchanged backline, otherwise with Mike Acevo, Blake Ferguson, 
on the wings, Tom Opacic and Wanga Blake, or unchanged, Wanga Blake is in the team, derp. So Wanga Blake comes into the team from Maradiniakoro. There's your change. Good old 40 with the um, old slip-ups. Hull's pairing is Jacob Alpha and Mitchell Moses, so it's going to be exciting to see how that one plays out. Front row is unchanged, with Reed Money named to play following uh, passing or following the passing provisionally of his uh, concussion test through the week. He'll be in the front row alongside Reg and Junior Polo. Back row of Isaiah Papali'i and Ryan Madison on the edges. Nathan Brown is back from that hip cork at lock forward. That means that Oregon Kafusi will lead the way on the bench. Sean Lane, prospective New South Wales origin candidate, by the way, per Freddie Fittler yesterday, uh, slides back to the bench to make way for Brown. Ray Stone's back in first grade, and he'll give the Eels some uh, cover at dummy half should Reed go down again, with Bryce Cartwright holding down the final spot in the bench. Joey Lusick, Keegan Hipgrave, Hayes Dunster, and Jordan Rankin are the shadow roster. So we got there eventually. We made a couple of trip-ups from me, notwithstanding. Uh, this is going to be a really fun game. The Warriors have been really competitive this year. The record doesn't look that flash on paper. They entered this round in eighth place with a negative four and against, and only having won four of their nine hitouts. But I looked back on their on their actual head to head contest, and they haven't been blown out at all this year. They've been right in the mix of every game. Yeah, it seems like there's only a couple of key moments every week that seem to cost them their uh, chances of winning the game. I like their bench. I think they've yeah. got a really yeah. strong bench. It's and funny because uh, that, that's one area where you look at a given game and say, well, the Eels is going to roll them over in the second rotation. Yeah. And then yeah. this is a game where you look at that bench and like, oh, you know, maybe the Warriors can match it with the Eels. Like, I don't know. Like, Tavanga is a great little sort of utility forward. Armao and Afal give them plenty of, uh, you know, power. And Walsh is a bit of a wild card. I think, it, it, like you, I think it's going to be a very interesting match. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by any stretch of the imagination because when you have a change in the centre and a change to the halfback as the Eels have, uh having to face this week, you're talking about two changes on the same side of the field. Yeah. And that's not going to just impact attack, but it's also going to very much impact defence. Now, Jake Arthur is a very, very good defender. Uh, He's coming in to replace Dylan Brown, who is in the absolute elite class when it comes to defence, and has built up a combination with Murata Nukore beside him. And what we've seen this year is a complete change in the dynamics defending on the Eels' uh, side there. So um, it's the Eels' right side has just been something that's uh, been completely different in in this season. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, first of all, with Wunga Blake coming back into the team and taking uh, back that centre position on the right side and playing alongside uh, Jake Arthur, who he hasn't had as much experience a little bit, obviously, during the preseason with uh, training there. But that combination being settled as it was before and having the change this week, it'll be interesting to see how it holds up. And especially given the struggles, the well-noted struggles that the the Blake brothers had in 2020 down that right edge where uh, there was just a number of, whether it was communication or mis-execution, uh, teams had a lot of success working at our right edge defensively. So it'd be very interesting to see if uh, Wanga, fresh off that injury, alongside Blake Ferguson, who's been playing outside of Murata, can uh, hit the ground running defensively as much as they can. 
Yeah, as we've we've spoken about this in the past, but what happens on that outside, the very outside when you're out at the wing, is so often determined by what happens on the inside. And when you have a defender like Dylan Brown, who's covering on the inside of Murata and um, Blake Ferguson, and Murata, of course, would be classified as a very good defender, but we're talking about someone who would be who was used to defending closer to the ruck, and here he is out wide. And defending as a centre is completely different to defending in closer to the ruck. And he he seemed to overcome any issues that he might have had with the, I suppose, the more agile players running at him. No one seemed to get around him. Uh, there might have been one or two occasions where he was stood yeah, up. Yeah, Will, Will Kennedy like, troubled him a little bit against Cronulla, and the Dragons managed to isolate him once uh, in that loss. So yeah, he's done a fantastic that, job in general. Yeah, so that was about it. But uh, what I credit that with is that he didn't have to worry about what was inside him or who was inside him. True. And, and, and in fact, there were times where Dylan was able to clean up part breaks or to shut things down or or even by his mere presence and by presence I mean his defensive movements uh, eliminate the chances of going out out wider on in attack so um, now as I said I think Jake Arthur is a very good defensive half and it will be interesting to see how well that translates to defending beside Wonga Blake so um, that's a. I'm sure that that's not going to be lost on the on Nathan Brown and the Warriors with uh, their plans of attack. Is seeing a new combination out there on that right side. Exactly, and uh, looking across the rest of the Eels lineup, obviously there's a, a couple of revenge games or quote unquote revenge games. Kane Evans versus the Eels, Isaiah Papali'i against the Warriors as part of that not really a trade, but trade that happened, <laughs> thankfully for the Eels. Uh, not not a slur on Ken, uh, Kane Evans, sorry, but more of a, how much a revelation Isaiah has been. I spoke at this with the fellows on the Para podcast earlier this week, and I don't think Papali is going to go out of his way to make it a revenge game. He's such a cool customer. I think he's just going to be going about his business as usual. Do you think there's going to be uh, extra feeling there for Ice? I don't think so. I agree with you. I think he is just such a cool customer that he his strength this year has been that capacity to follow instructions to the T. And whether it's been that BA's simplified his game or whatever the case may be, he's a different uh, player altogether to how he was with the Warriors. Don't get me wrong. We knew that he had potential in his games with the Warriors. He he, he provided highlight moments. He, he always looked like a player who was had that capacity to reach the higher echelons within the game. But he's gone to a completely different level and it's been backed up by some of the stats that have been shown in his comparing his few games with the Eels to his seasons with the Warriors in terms of things like his his uh, line breaks, his tries, the average number of hit-ups, the metres gained, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think he'll be a bloke who'll just go about his business and he won't get drawn into any of that sort of I've got a point to prove because what point has he got to prove? He's 
he's playing in, in great form. There's nothing more that he needs to do than just carry on with what he's been doing. Kane Evans, on the other hand, mm. might have the idea that he wants to prove a point. So that would be interesting whether that takes him to a, a better level of play or whether it um, causes him to force his hand yeah. a bit too much. And we know that if Kane forces forces the play mm. a bit too much, <laughs> there's some errors that are uh, around his game. Yeah, Kane, equal parts, dynamic prop forward when he's on, but also, you know, unfortunately a bit prone to forcing play and looking for those offloads and whatnot that can um, often come back to bite him and his team on the backside. So very interesting to see how Kane plays this week. I mean, you know, he's, he's obviously on another team, but I, I did enjoy Kane for his time here, warts and all. Um, and, you know, you wish him well, but not, not too well this week. But, yeah, looking at that Warriors lineup, obviously you look at Roger Tulvasa Shek, we spoke about their bench. Is there anywhere else that's got you really worried about the matchup? They've got a couple of uh, real goals in the halves. They've got Ken Mamalo, who's a very good modern-style winger. Um, ben murdoch Masilla's back this week, and he can be a bit dynamic with a ball in hand. Who have you got on your watch list, mate? Mate, it, it's not so much an individual, but it's it's when they play their best football as a team. We've seen that they've been capable of playing matches where they have up to a hundred hundred percent completion rate or very close to it. So my watch on them is their completion rate. Because if they can reach the heights that they've reached on a couple of occasions with those high ninety percent completion rates, that's gonna be a task for us to overcome that sort of level of possession and completion. It's just that that's if there's probably been a development in the Warriors game over the past two years, it's developing a bit more discipline mm-hmm. in their football. And in the recent losses that they've had, I think it's come up it's it's really come on the back of a few extra errors that weren't there in other matches. So as you said, they're just highly competitive. They've got the that excellent back three that you know are going to bring the ball back. Um, I I think it's quite a, a well-balanced team. And if they get their completions, as I said, right up there, I can I, I can see a really, really tough encounter for us. So I'm not worried about individuals with them. I'm worried about how they perform as a team. And let's talk about how this game's going to play out then. Uh, recent history actually has, like you said, a number of uh, close encounters between the Warriors and the Eels. Eels have had the better of the running for a little bit in the last couple of years, but they've had to fight hard to have that uh, edge, much like with the uh, Canterbury Bulldogs, actually. How do you see this one playing out on the uh, Super Sunday of Magic Round? Mate, it's, it's a really tough one to call. I think I'd like to see us continue with that platform, that patient platform building into the game. If we allow the Warriors to get any level of confidence or to get any level of ascendancy through the middle and they're on in terms of their performance as a team, it could be a, it could be a really tough game. To, and I tend to be someone... I know people say, don't worry about history. I look at last year and I'm seeing a lot. I I believe we're playing much better football, but there's a little bit of a parallel to last year where 
at this, this time last year, we were eight and one coming into the round 10. And then we lost to Manly. Yeah, a on match a, that we were expected to win, and we, we a number of injuries in the lead up to that game, and on game day itself, obviously derailing the Eels in that particular circumstance, and not dissimilar this week with suspensions playing their part in the roster. Yeah, I, I, I look at the history of the game. If I start to see parallels, I get nervous. <laughs> um, to, to be fair, though, and this has been a point that we've raised multiple times on both the tip sheet and in whiskey musings, the Eels have done something or been something of curse breakers this year. They've really shaken off a number of monkeys off their backs in terms of beating the Raiders comfortably in Canberra, uh, obviously going up to Darwin and posting their first big win up in the top end, and then getting by the dogs, if it wasn't perfect by any means, comfortably. So they've been pretty good at, at bucking their recent negative trends. Mate, this is probably the first time this year that you might be you might be hearing me being a little bit superstitious or a little bit um, a little bit nervous about the game, and I, it, I'll say it's completely not me uh, for how I've been this year. It's just how I see it. I'm just, I just have those, I just have those nerves. Maybe it has to do with the last time that there was a magic round that was on, and how things were. I know I should have, I should have a lot more faith in the team. And don't get me wrong, I do have faith that we're going to turn up. I do have faith that we're going to that that we are going to deliver. But man, I've just got the that superstitious part of me that it's it's been activated for whatever reason it has, but it's been activated. So um, look, I believe we're going to win, but I think it's going to be a close match. I'm going to go for somewhere between. Uh, a two to six point margin to the Eels. Yeah, and playing into this too is obviously the scars of the 2019 Magic Round, the only Magic Round team so far because of COVID, uh, where the Eels got absolutely pantsed by the Melbourne Storm to the tune of 64 to 10, which started a an unfortunate slide during the mid uh, run of that season. I think uh, on Tuesday I tipped a, a very strong Eels win. I'm going to back that, and I can't remember what the actual margin was. I feel something like 36 or 40 to 10 or 12. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stay there. I think the Eels will get a good win here in the tune with uh, their ability to shake off those uh, mockers or curses or tradition like negative traditions as they've been wont to do in 2021. I think I also tipped Jake Arthur for the first try scorer for a bit of fun there. I'd love to see Jake get over. Uh, and the scenes from the team, I imagine, would be very very uh, fun to watch because we've seen this year already em- them embracing the likes of our uh, Stone and Cartwright and whatnot when they've gotten there. Uh, try scoring accounts opened up, so I would love to see Jake get over at some point, if not first. Mate, he scored five tries from seven games this year. My prediction, where I am confident, is that I believe Jake Arthur will have a very strong debut and will justify the faith that uh, has been placed in him for this uh, NRL elevation. So I'm still going to stick with it being a two to six point margin. I can't avoid the nerves that I've got, but I have no nerves or, or any sort of reservations about how I think uh, Jake's going to go on his debut. And like you, I think it'd be incredible if he's able to get over for a try in his debut. And like you believe as well, I've I've seen how respected he is in the group. I've watched enough training with him 
in the opposed sessions and some of the plays that he's able to put on at training to know that he's he earned their respect basically from day one. He's He's been a player that's obviously been there as BA's son for a while in terms of helping out at training and joining in conditioning runs and those sorts of things. So it's not that he's unknown to the group, but to join in and to take the hits that he takes at training, to put on the plays that he puts on, uh, they've got a lot of respect for him. I'm sure that when BA was looking at considering him for this week, that he would have had the support of the players in naming Jake. So like you, I think if he gets across, uh, I think it'll be a memorable moment and uh, one where let's hope that the media capture lots of photos. That's it, mate. And that'll put a nice wrap up on another episode of the tip sheet. As always, a pleasure to have you guys dropping by to listen. Stay tuned for our live cast on Saturday with details to come for those. And we'll catch you guys on the other side for the uh, review edition of the tip sheet on the weekend. Thanks guys. Catch you later. See ya.